Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. So we have been brought into the people of God, right? It says right there that we used to not belong. We used to be Gentiles, but now we belong to the people of God. But with this new citizenship that we have, there also come responsibilities. And that's why Paul in chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So he's basically saying, therefore, because you have been called into the kingdom of God, because you have been called into the family of God, because you are members of this new nation, you have this new citizenship, now you are to walk, you are to live a certain way. You are to follow certain laws. You are to behave a certain way. And so, Starting in chapter 4, he mentions the word walk multiple times, right? And the word means to, to live, to behave, to, to, um, yeah, to, to behave a certain way. And so one of the things he says in verse 17 is, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind, right? So one of the one of the, the uh, or one of the things that walking according to our calling means, it means that we are going to walk in holiness, right? It means that we are to walk as members of God's new people, not as the Gentiles, right? Because we are no longer Gentiles, but we are members of God's new people. One of, one of the other things he says about walking, he says in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we are called to walk in love. Because we are members of the kingdom of God, because we belong to God, then we are called to walk in love. And then in verse um, 8, chapter 5, verse 8, he says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Right? So he is saying, now that you belong to the kingdom of God, now that you belong to the light, then there has to be a distinction between who you were before, between who the people, the the sons of disobedience, he says, there has to be a distinction between them and between us, between the way that they behave and the way that we behave. We are now walking in the light. And so the last walk command in this section is the one that we're going to spend time in today and is found in verse 15. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So today that's what we're going to be focusing on. What does it mean to walk uh, as wise people? So let's pray, and then we will read the passage, and we will get going. God, we thank you. We thank you that you have called us. We thank you that you have made us citizens of your 
kingdom because of the work of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you have purchased us. You have bought us with the blood of your son, Jesus. Thank you that we belong to you. And God, we pray that you help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. That we would understand that we belong to your kingdom and that we are called to walk accordingly. That we would walk in love, that we would walk in holiness, that we would walk in the light, that we would walk in wisdom. Please guide us this uh, evening as we study your word, as we hear from you. God, please fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Please speak to us by your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill me so that I would preach the words that you want your church to hear today. Lord, we want to see Jesus. We want to see your glory. Please help us to be transformed, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's read chapter 5, Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21. And can I ask you to stand for the reading of God's word? Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of God. You may be seated. All right, so this last call for us, at least uh, uh, the last walk in the, in the book, is a call to walk not as unwise, but as wise. And it's not just a simple walk this way. It's, it's a very strong exhortation. It says, look carefully then how you walk. So we are supposed to pay close attention to how we walk, right? The fact that we were bought the, the fact that we were brought into the kingdom of God doesn't mean that we get to just sit back and relax and just kind of go day by day and, and, and do whatever we want. But we are supposed to be intentional, right? We are supposed to look carefully how we walk. And so we have seen several distinctions, right? We are not to walk as the Gentiles, but we are to walk in the way that we were taught Jesus. We are to walk in love, not in immorality and covetousness and, and uh, idolatry. We are to walk in the light, not in the works, the unfruitful works of darkness. And here the contrast is we are to walk as wise people. We are to walk in wisdom. Now, a little something about wisdom here. In the letter to the Ephesians, when we look at the word wisdom, how it shows up three other times, we see that every time it is linked with God's will. In other words, someone who is wise 
is someone who understands the will of God. Someone who is wise is someone who has rearranged his or her life in light of what God has revealed to us. And what has God revealed to us? Well, we have seen it in the, in the, in the letter to the Ephesians, right? We see that God has revealed to us the mystery of his will, which is to unite all things to himself in Christ Jesus. We know that the will of God is that we, the church, would be the instruments of uh, uh, the instruments that he used to reach out the world with the gospel. Right? We know that the will of God is that Jesus would be the head of the church and that we would be the members of the church and that we would pursue unity. And so living in a wise way means that you are going to rearrange your entire life in light of these realities. If God wants us to pursue the unity of the church, then we're going to rearrange our lives in order to pursue unity. If God wants to use us as his instruments for his glory and for proclaiming the good news to the world that is lost, then it means that we're going to rearrange our lives in light of God's will. If God's will is that, uh, like it says in, in, in chapter 4, he has given us gifts, he has given us uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, uh, pastors, and teachers to equip us for the work of the ministry, it means that we are going to rearrange our lives to submit ourselves to our leaders, and it also means that we're going to rearrange our lives to do the work of the ministry, right? Because it says right there that those, le those leaders were given to us to equip us for the work of the ministry. So that is walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom means we're going to rearrange our lives to live according to God's will for us. God, and, and he has made his will so clear, so uh, uh, he has given it to us so specifically. And so he is going to give us several points of what it means to be wise, right? So verse 15 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So what does it mean? Well, verse 16 making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Someone who is wise, a, a wise believer understands that our time here on earth is limited. A wise believer understands that people's unbelievers' time here on earth is limited. A wise Christian understands that this earthly life is nothing in comparison to eternity. And therefore, we understand that in that sense, the days are evil. In that sense, the, the, the time is running out. And therefore, like I said earlier, we need to rearrange our lives in light of that. Uh, John Piper has a very convicting quote. Honestly, I don't even know the context of it, but it's a quote that often comes to mind. He says, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day Prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Let me read that again. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Right? So when we understand eternity, when we understand the will of God, when we understand that, that God wants to use us for his glory, then we're going to be very selective with the things we do with our time. Now, this doesn't mean that there's no time for recreation. This doesn't mean that there's no time for rest. No, absolutely. There is time for those things. 
But when we decide the things that we spend our time in, when we have the will of God in mind, then we're going to choose wisely. We're going to choose wisely what we do, how we spend our time, who we spend Thanksgiving with, or who we spend Christmas with, or uh, what we do on Sunday evenings, or whatever. It also says in verse 17, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So here he, he advances the, the argument a little bit, right? The argument was, don't walk as unwise, but walk as wise. Now the argument is, do not be foolish, or do, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. And so this is the contrast, right? The, the contrast is between foolishness and between knowing God's will, right? One of the, uh, um, really the main point of the book of Proverbs is that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? If you want to be wise, if you want to live in an understanding way, then you need to fear the Lord. You need to know the Lord. You need to know the will of God. One of the best pieces of advice that I received as, as a teenager, and so I want to pass it on for our teenagers here and our young people and, and, and for older people as well, was read the book of Proverbs once a month. The book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. So if you read one chapter a day, you can read the book of Proverbs once a month, and then, you know, in the months that only have 30 days, well, you'll miss the... Uh, Oh, what is the what is the actual the something woman? The what? The virtuous woman. Thank you. <laughs> You'll miss the virtuous woman every other month, but that's okay. Um, now I do want to say. Sometimes we misunderstand what the term "the will of God" means. What do I mean by this? Well, what I mean is that sometimes we think of God's will as like a choose your own adventure type book, you know, where like there are different paths, different options, and then it is your job to figure out which one is the right one, you know? And so you're like, you're all anxious because it's like, well, but if I go path A, then I'm going to go outside of God's will and he's going to be upset at me and and I'm going to mess up. And, and we spend so much time trying to figure out, quote, God's will. When in reality, I, I don't think that that's how it works. I think that God has made his will so clear, so specific, so, so uh, uh, it, it is so clear here in the word of God in the Bible. Right? When you read the Bible, I mean, we don't even have to go outside of the book of Ephesians to know that God's will for us is our sanctification. Right? God, it says in, in, in chapter 1 that he called us, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So what is the will of God for you? That you would be holy and blameless. That you would seek the unity of the church. Right? In, in, verse, in chapter 4, we already read that, but we can read, well, actually, it didn't read the whole thing. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. What is God's will for you? Well, it is that you walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. God's will for us is that we pursue the unity of the church. God's will for us is that we do not remain spiritual babies, but that we continue to grow, that we become mature. God's will for us is that we do the work of the ministry for which we are being equipped. Now, going outside of Ephesians, uh, in, I believe it's 1 Thessalonians, I'm not sure, either 1st or 2nd Thessalonians, but Paul very clearly and specifically says, God's will for you is that you are holy, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that, right? Like every time, every time someone says, okay, what, I want to know what the will of God is for me, you should be able to say, well, at, for starters, God's will for you is that you would be holy and that you would abstain from sexual immorality. So the will of God is, is clear to us. And so I don't think that as we go about our Christian life, I don't think that we need to spend so much time or some... Or, or, not that we shouldn't spend time thinking about decisions. We should definitely be very thoughtful about our, the decisions that we make. But I don't think that we should approach the, those decisions with kind of that mentality of like, well, if I choose A instead of B, God is going to be upset or whatever. But instead we should say, all right, we have all the information that God has given us. We understand what God's will for our lives is. And therefore we can freely decide A or B when we understand that God wants us to be holy, right? When you understand that God wants you to live in a wise way, when you understand that God wants you to be holy, to be sanctified, when you understand that God wants you to pursue the unity of the church, the, do the work of the ministry, uh, grow up as a Christian, then instead of trying to figure out you know, path A or path B, I think we're going to be trying to figure out how can I please the Lord through this decision? How can I be more effective for the Lord through this decision? Now, this uh, flows very nicely into the next verse where we understand that God's will for us, this is also a very clear statement of God's will, is that we... Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18. This command seems kind of random in here, right? He's talking about a lot of different things. He's, he has talked about, you know, the, the Ephesians should not steal, should not. Uh, uh, lie to one another, uh, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. You know, he is giving a bunch of different commands, but, you know, we thought that maybe he was done with those, you know, more practical commands and he's moved on to, to other issues. But then he seemingly randomly throws this command of do not get drunk with wine. And I mean, you know, honestly, I don't think it's that random, especially for the Ephesians who lived in a culture that was plagued with that, right? Like I, I think Jordan spoke about this a little bit and I did as well, how they would have uh, uh, pagan celebrations to their pagan deities 
And part of these celebrations, it was uh, uh, the, they celebrated their deities by getting drunk. They celebrated their, their deities by, by uh, having massive feasts with lots of alcohol where there was a lot of drunkenness. And then with drunkenness came debauchery and they did all sorts of evil things. Now, we're not completely sure of, uh, if, if Paul was referring specifically to this, but I even read that there is a specific deity. Um, I think the name of the god is Dionysius. I don't know exactly how to say his name. But basically, the whole point of this god, he was the god of alcohol and drunkenness. So it literally, to celebrate this god, to worship this god, you had to get drunk. That was, the whole, that was, that was how they would worship the, this particular god. But notice the contrast, right? This, this whole section has been about contrast, right? Wisdom versus foolishness or foolishness versus knowing the will of God. Well, what is the contrast of drunkenness and debauchery? The contrast or the opposite is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because what does alcohol do to you? It, it controls you. Right? When you are drunk, you are controlled by this substance. You are not, in a sense, you're not yourself. Or, I mean, yes, you are yourself, but you are letting yourself be controlled with, with a foreign substance. And so in this case, I think it is very appropriate to say, instead of being filled and controlled with wine, be filled and be controlled with the Holy Spirit. The believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit. We should be controlled by the Holy Spirit. In everything that we do, the Holy Spirit should be working through us. That's one of the reasons why every time I get up here, I pray and I ask God to fill me with the Holy Spirit because I want to make sure that the things that I'm saying up here are not just random words that I'm coming up with, but are the words that the Holy Spirit is giving me. My prayer is that when I come up here, but not only when I come up here, but when I go and meet with someone or when I'm driving from work to home, my prayer is, God, please fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can be your instrument, so that I can be your vessel for your glory. And that should be our prayer at all times, right? When you're going to a family reunion, God, please fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we can be a light in this family reunion. When you're driving home from work, God, please fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can be patient with my kids and loving to my wife and, and, and helpful. Every time our prayer should be, God, please fill us with the Holy Spirit. Please let us be controlled by your Holy Spirit. Now, just a quick doctrinal note here. It's not like we can... It's not that believers can lose the Holy Spirit, right? We have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. We belong to the people of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our salvation, of our inheritance. So it's not like believers lose the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, we have clear commands in Scripture to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I don't know exactly how to put it into words. But I do know that believers have the Holy Spirit, but at the same time, believers should seek to be filled, to be controlled, to have the Holy Spirit as the one who is driving us, 
the one who is controlling us, the one who is influencing us. Also, a quick note on being, um, being drunk with wine. You know, obviously, drunkenness is a sin, right? Obviously, that's something that we need to watch out for. But I also think that the implications go further than that. Because you may say, well, I actually don't struggle with drunkenness. I don't even drink or whatever. You know, you may say whatever you, and, and say, I don't struggle with that. But at the same time, I think we need to be honest with ourselves and we need to say, well, but there may be other things that we are letting them control us. There may be other things that are affecting us and changing us and that we are letting them control us instead of the Holy Spirit, right? You may not be controlled by alcohol, but what about anger? You let your anger control you. You may not be controlled by alcohol, but what about uh, uh, any other form of addiction? What about lust? What about, I mean, even what about an addiction to social media? Did you know that's a real thing? Like, there are people, and I don't think it's that difficult to relate. There are people that cannot stop being on social media. They cannot put their phones down. And so, you know, I, I want to draw this implication so that we understand the reality that there are so many things out there fighting for our attention, fighting to control us. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and making sure that we are being controlled by the Holy Spirit and not by those outward things. And this, as I was preparing for this, this made me think of how Jesus, after he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And then Luke says that he was filled with the Spirit and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. If our Lord Jesus needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to be able to resist temptation, how much more should we be filled with the Holy Spirit? Right? We need the Holy Spirit. We cannot go in our own power, in our own strength. If we try to do ministry, if we try to, to uh, uh, work in our marriage, if we try to parent, if we try whatever it is that we try to do without the help of the Holy Spirit, without being filled with the Holy Spirit, we are going to fail. We are not going to succeed. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Now he gives us some really, really practical implications of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 19 is someone who is addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit addresses one another in psalms. Someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit is someone who talks about God, about God's glory, about how awesome and amazing He is, right? Do you want to know if a person is filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, then just listen to what they talk about. Whatever they talk about, that's the thing that they're filled with. It's amazing. I love when, I, when I'm able to talk to someone and they direct the conversation to God. They direct the conversation to Jesus. Because you know that that person is filled with the Holy Spirit 
Being filled with the Holy Spirit also leads you to singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Right? If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we should be, I shouldn't say we should be the best singers of all. Because no, that's, you know, sometimes we just don't have that gift. But we should sing out. We should sing loudly and clearly and joyfully to the Lord. Because he has saved us. Because he has given us his son Jesus. Because he has made us citizens of his kingdom. Right? Every nation has an anthem and people sing those anthems. Well, we are believers. We should be singing about our king and savior. Someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit is, verse 20, someone who is giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jordan spoke about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, right? Thankfulness. I, I love what he said. It stuck with me. How thankfulness in, in, and any other sin is like oil and water. They cannot coexist. And so... In this case, a believer, a wise believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit is someone who is always giving thanks for everything to God the Father. A believer is not someone who is always complaining. I need to work on this myself. I'm, I'm more of a complainer. I complain about the rain. I complain about so many different things. And, and I'm thankful that Elena reminds me often. We, sh we should be grateful. We should be thankful. We should, we should stop complaining. Yes. A believer is not someone who is complaining, but a believer is someone who is thankful to God for everything. A believer is someone who recognizes, I don't deserve anything, and God has given me everything. And then lastly, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this actually opens up the entire new section, right? This is the transition to the new section where he's going to talk about uh, the relationship between uh, husband and wife, where he's going to talk about the relationship between uh, parents and children, and then uh, bond servants and masters. And so it is interesting that being filled with the Holy Spirit affects, deeply, deeply affects our family life, our private life, right? Being a believer, being someone filled with the Holy Spirit is, doesn't just mean that you come on Sundays to church and then the rest of the week you can do whatever you want. No. In fact, coming, coming to church on Sundays is only a seventh of, 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 the, uh, of the Christian life, right? Because it's just one, one day of the, of the seven-day week. And so we as believers... We are called to submit to one another out of reverence. I think that what Paul is getting at here is, I mean, it, think, think about the logic of, of, of the book so far, right? He's talking about how we have been called, we have been chosen, we have been saved, we have been redeemed. God has revealed to us the mystery of his will to unite all things in Christ. He's saying how we are members of the church, the body of Christ, how Jesus has received all authority, how Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and has all authority, all dominion, all power. He's talking about how we have received gifts so that we are equipped for the work of the ministry. He's talking about how we are building up the church 
which is the body of Christ, which is the, the dwelling temple of the Spirit of God. And, and just think about like how incredibly triumphal this entire letter is. And so one thing that I keep thinking is, well, what's, what's coming next? Like, is he going to say like, all right, the, the very next step should be world domination, right? I mean, we, the way it's building up, I think it should get to the point of like, man, let's just world domination. But look at what he says. Look at how he ends or he, he nears the end of the book. The result of these things is that wives submit to their husbands. The result of this is that husbands love their wives sacrificially. They give themselves up for their wife. The result of this is that children are obedient to their parents and they honor their parents. The result of this is that parents are not domineering over their children but they, and they do not make them angry, do not provoke them to anger, but they bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The result of this is that we behave honorably in the workplace, in the marketplace. Whether we are employers, employees, whether we are hiring someone to come do a service at our house, whatever it is, we behave honorably. And I believe, I truly believe that Paul and, and Peter and the New Testament writers, they truly believe that the world would be transformed by this. They truly believe that when Christians lived wisely, that when Christians walked in the light, that when Christians submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ, that the world would see that and that they would be attracted to that, that the darkness would be exposed, right? That the light would expose the works of darkness and that when the world would see that, they would be attracted to it and they would be gained for Christ. So the way that we behave in our private life, in our public life, in the marketplace is not meaningless. God cares deeply about that because that's one of the main ways that this world is saved. One of the main ways that this world is attracted to God. Right? When they see how amazing this Christian kingdom is, they say, I want to be a part of that kingdom. I might not understand everything that they do or believe, but look at how the husband treats his wife. I want to be a part of that. Look at those children, how well behaved they are and how they honor their parents. I want to be a part of that. Look at those parents, how they do not disrespect their children by provoking them to anger, how they don't rule over their children and, or lord it over their children in the way that Jesus said that we shouldn't. Look at how the employers behave and treat their employees. Look at how the employee, even though they might have a, an unbelieving employer, look at how honorable they behave. Look at how humble they are. Look at how they submit to one another. I want to be a part of that. And it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I think in Christ, we have a great example of submission and humility. Right? Because Jesus submitted to the Father perfectly. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed. He asked God, if it's possible, let, let this, 
I don't remember the wording. That's, that's a problem of learning passages in Spanish and then trying to come up with them in English. <laughs> what, do you guys remember what Jesus said, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me? All right, thank you. Let this cup pass from me. And he said, but not my will, but your will be done. Right? So Jesus was submissive to the Father. And so in the same way we are to submit to our Lord Jesus, we are to submit to God, and we are to submit to one another, to our brothers and sisters. We are to count others as more important than ourselves because Jesus sacrificed himself for us. And that is exactly what we are going to remember as we partake of communion. We are going to remember the submission of Jesus to the Father. We are going to remember how he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And filled with the Holy Spirit, he did his entire ministry here on earth, which led him to the cross. We're going to remember how he did not waste time, but he made the best use of the time. Right? As soon as he began his ministry, he did everything that the Father told him to do. As soon as he knew that it was his time to go to Jerusalem to die on the cross, he set his face toward Jerusalem, unwavering to go to do the mission that God had given him to die on the cross for us. And that's why we belong to this new kingdom. That's why we belong to this new nation with Jesus as our king. So let's pray and we will remember the sacrifice of Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you that you've made your will, your will clear. Please give us the strength, Lord. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we would be able to live as wise people. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he is, the, he is wisdom personified. He is the ultimate example of someone who was filled with the Spirit, someone who was obedient and submissive to you, Father. Thank you, God, for saving us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for paying the price for our redemption. In Jesus' name we pray.